It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hi, everybody. I, I normally introduce this as like the weekly Twitter spaces, but it's really not weekly. It's like monthly because it's December and there isn't much worth talking about, except for today. Uh, my name is Joshua Demert. I'm a staff writer at Pinstripe Alley. Uh, I am joined uh, not by Peter Brody, who is somewhere over the Midwest uh, of the United States. Instead, I am joined uh, by uh, two staff writers, um, Esteban. Hi, Esteban. Hey, Josh. How are you? How is Long Island City, where I where I now know that you live? It's great, uh, you know, just just looking out the window in a Gotham environment. Mm. And uh, also introducing, I don't actually think he has a byline on our site yet, so it's a little bit of a soft launch, I suppose, for one of our new writers. Um, Alex Eisert. Hi, Alex. Thank you for joining. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Where are you? I, I, I was just recently in New York, and so that's why I now know where I know where Jake lives. I know where Esteban lives. I tr- I've tried to memorize where Maddie lives, but I just it sounded very confusing when she told me. <laughs> yeah, there there are a lot of neighborhoods, um, but I'm I'm right across the river from Esteban, actually, um, Midtown East, Manhattan. There we go. I don't know why no one, no one nobody uh, nobody on our team hangs out. It's kind of strange. Yeah, well, I, I would love to. Um, I can make that a thing. Building, we're building connections here. Um, so, uh, for those who don't know, Alex uh, recently was hired as a contributor at Fangraphs, um, and then uh, applied to uh, our contributorship that opened and got the job. He's very, very talented. Um, I think he's quite insightful, and we are excited to have him on the team. Um, so Thank you, Josh. <laughs> this morning, um, normally, sort of my morning routine is I like to get up. Between like six and six thirty in the morning, I like to like make my coffee, just kind of like go for a walk if the weather's nice, and just like start my day without my device because I'm on. We're all on our phones or on our laptops all day. I try not to do that very first thing in the morning. So I go and I do that. My coffee is being made, and I pick up my phone, and Carlos Correa is no longer a San Francisco Giant. And we've got a bunch of Yankee stuff to talk about obviously with uh, the press conference from this morning and, and Carlos Rodon being official and then some of the DFAs uh, that just that just came down this afternoon. But boy, I, I really thought that Carlos Correa was a giant. And um, yeah, what a strange, strange set of circumstances. Yeah, so I woke up around like 6.30 a.m. Eastern time around there. 
and I did the wrong. I did not do what you did, Josh. I looked at my phone immediately, and I saw New York. And whenever I have an alert on my phone from Jeff Patton, and it starts with New York, I get like a little bit of a heart drop. And then it was Mets have signed Carlos Correa to blah 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 contract. And sometimes I'm slow to get up, but today I like jumped up and was just shook. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was I'm a bit of a night owl, so I was awake when it happened. I mean, um, apparently so was wait, I. But I just wasn't on Twitter. Like I, because okay. like, it happened at like one what one one in the morning on the East Coast, right? So I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, that's it. Okay. I was like watching TV and just wasn't on my phone, and then woke up in, uh, this morning to the news. Might have been a little later than one, if I'm being honest. <laughs> oh, well, whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I was like, who who is up right now at the same time as me uh, on the Mets making this deal? So um, a couple different things. First of all, I, I think it's funny um, when they canceled the press conference, uh, when the Giants canceled the press conference. I posted in the Slack, you know, um, is this something or nothing? And because, you know, once like everybody in the industry kind of starts to report it, yeah, like we know that it's not official until the team says something, but like we all kind of know what's going to happen. Like Carlos Rodon signing wasn't official until today. And, you know, we all kind of knew that he was going to be a Yankee. Um, But, you know, and then stuff started coming about the medicals and whatnot. I'll be honest, I thought that what was going to happen was the contract would be restructured, but the giants would stay in whether that would be some options or sort of the overall term of the contract was dropped. I I can't remember, you know, the the only really comp for this is when the Red Sox traded for Alex Rodriguez. And then all of a sudden they didn't, that's the only comp for this that I can think of. Yeah. I was thinking the same exact thing like this morning, trying to reason through anything that is at all comparable and that's that's the only one I could think of is okay we have this player it it's all but done, and then when um you go to you know you try to cross the finish line it all goes wrong. Uh, I was like trying to read it's it's obviously not going to come out that much about any specifics because that feels like a violation of privacy, but all the information that has come out has probably been from Boris. But it's all been so interesting, like him saying that he gave the Giants a pretty good window. And honestly, it seems like a big window. It's been multiple days since they've agreed to the contract. And then once the Giants said that they were not done within whatever window Boris gave them, he moved on. Uh, It seems pretty simple and like good practice from the agent side. Yeah, and I mean, like, Scott Boris is... I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know how Esteban feels about Scott Boris. I don't know how you feel, Alex, but I feel like we're probably in consensus. Like, I Scott Boris is the best in the game for a reason. And I guess his own telling of the story was, you know, he was uh, on the phone with Steve Cohen, and I guess Cohen's in um, in Hawaii right now. And Boris was like, okay, San Francisco is getting cold feet. Turn around and get the, the best, you know, next outstanding offer. And... um you know, I have a lot of admiration for agents. I think uh, Judge's agent played this offseason fantastic. Um, and, I mean, Boris is is Boris. Yeah. No, I mean, I got to hand it to Boris, too. I mean, unless, you know, he's doing uh, – the, the reason that I think he did so well is because he shaped the narrative that way. But um makes sense that, I guess, uh, Steve Cohen was in Hawaii. He was up that late, too. Um, but, but, yeah, no, I, I think um, – it seems to me like a, a case of the Giants or maybe the ownership getting cold feet. Um, maybe they're like, hang on. They saw, you know, Minnesota's final offer was, uh, I think, 65 million less. And they were like, hang on, like, could we have had Correa for, for less? Like, maybe we can try and restructure the deal here. Um, and, and there have been some cases where that that's happened in the past, I think. I mean, you know, not the the most prime example, but uh, Giovanni Gallardo, I think, signed with the Orioles. Um, and oh, then, oh, yeah, I totally remember yeah. when that happened, yeah. But sure. then he ended up signing with them anyway. So maybe they were trying to restructure the deal like that. I mean, yeah, there's the A-Rod trade. There was, 
there was an Omar Vizquel trade in the early 2000s, though we don't we don't talk about Omar Vizquel anymore. But yeah, I um I find it interesting that like he did end up getting less money. Like he got a full year and 35 million dollars less. So clearly there was room to change the contract. Uh, he would have accepted less money. Obviously, he did. Um, but for whatever reason, the Giants just couldn't get there. And boy, the Giants, we're going to talk about the Red Sox in a second. But boy, the Giants have had just a, a terrible, terrible offseason. Um, Esteban, it, it sounds like the Mets are going to play him at third. Um, I know that you are probably in the 99th percentile of Carlos Correa watchers. Um, not just among like baseball writers, but just people in general. I think probably you've watched him play more than some of his cousins have. Um, <laughs> what do you think about the shift from short to third? I mean, other players have certainly done it, um, but you know, I'm curious, given that he wasn't quite as good defensively this year as he's been in the past, and frankly, you know, was never as good as he was in 2021. Um, what do you think about the position change? Yeah, I I think that he's pretty well suited to play third. The reason why he took a step back with the defensive metrics isn't because he wasn't making the plays that were near and around him. It was because he lost a little bit of range. So it's not like he started making a bunch of mistakes, if that makes sense. And given the geography he has to cover at third and his arm strength and his arm slot, I think he's just going to be a perfect fit there. Uh, He... So... A lot of people who are great fielders from third base throw from right over the top, sort of like a catcher, not exactly like a catcher, and just have backspin throws. You can't throw it like a second baseman or shortstop where you drop three quarters or drop um, all the way down to the side. Like You just can't do that from third base. So in terms of making throws, he's going to be um, probably perfect right away. And now I'm recalling some highlight plays he made uh, in the last WBC from third base, playing next to Lindor, of course. Mm. And I I think he's probably just going to be in that top tier defensively right away. And this kind of always was, even from when he was drafted, I think there was a lot of questions about whether someone of his body could stick it short. Um, so I think this was kind of always the direction that it was likely going to head for, for Correa anyway. So it's not that surprising that it that it happened, and certainly when you have Francisco Lindor at short, um, nothing's you're going to see see spots to him. Um, yeah. Alex, I want to talk a little bit about the money here. So the Yankees, like no one can complain that the Yankees had not spent this winter. They have spent, uh, according to Yahoo Sports, I'm looking at the tweet right now, five hundred and eighty three million dollars um, in the off season. But and and maybe this is a nice segue into Carlos Jordan. That hasn't been a lot of additions. They've brought back Judge, and Judge is certainly going to be worse this in 2023 than he was in 2022. Uh, no fault of his own, just you just don't have an 11 and a half win season. Um, they brought back Rizzo. They add Rodon. I think that's a big move, and we can get into it. And then they add Tommy Canely, which again I think is a, a perfectly fine move, but he's a reliever. Um, compare that with sort of what the Mets have done flipping essentially flipping Justin Justin Verlander in for DeGrom. Uh, The Mets, obviously, they brought back Brandon Nimmo. They had the big extension with Diaz. But now they have sort of this big capstone move of Carlos Correa. I'm not one to be like, oh, so-and-so won the offseason. But just talk about sort of your thoughts on the different approaches by the two teams. Absolutely, yeah. Um, And I have a lot to say about Rodon, too. But um, in in college, I I took uh, some sports economics and I learned that in a general sense, sports economists divide team owners into two groups, the profit maximizers and the win maximizers. And yeah, yeah. of course, there's some overlap, you know, because winning helps you increase attendance and merch sales. Um, but the, the, the distinction is really more about what the top priority is of the owner. And so, like, you know, prop, profit maximizers aim to have the largest surplus that they can. And win maximizers are usually thought of as spending as much as it takes to win without taking on financial losses. So like they try to, they do their best to win while also breaking even. But um, even those kinds of win maximizers are limited by their, the size of their market. So Steve Cohen, it seems to me is not really limited, (laughs) whatever the implicit cap might be for him. He's willing to take on more losses than usual. 
Um, with the Yankees, I think that, you know, so Steve Cohen obviously calls to mind Steinbrenner, who, you know, was he was of a similar ilk. But I think his kids, you know, they they the team is is one of their more primary sources of income. So they're more interested in in profit than maybe their father was. Um, yeah, I think also like, and I mean, I'm not one to, I don't want to carry water for a billionaire. So if it doesn't come across as that, but like, I think that people maybe don't understand the difference in scale between the resources that Steve Cohen mm-hmm. has and the resources that every other owner in baseball has, like the next richest owner has a third of the wealth right. of Steve Cohen. And, um, you know, that matters. And I think, you know, happy that the Mets are spending, I think it's kind of, icky um the way that some Mets fans are like Uncle Steve and sort of attaching a a sort of parasocial relationship to Mm -hmm. him um but yeah I mean it is just asking all these teams like why can't we just spend more I mean it's similar to what the Padres do and there was that exec that was like I don't understand where the Padres are finding all this money right well just just spend it (laughs) yeah um we should talk a little bit more about the yankees because this is not a mets show esteban alex you tease that you have a lot of thoughts esteban you are our sort of carlos correspondent because i know that rodan uh like correa is one of your great loves you must have been very excited last week yes i was excited i was also surprised if i'm being honest like i know that the smoke had been building up over the last few weeks but going into the off season i was pretty much expecting the rotation to stand pat and have all of the reinforcements come on the offensive end. Like I, I just, I just didn't think Rodon would be an option and I'm happy that he is. And now not just an option, but is on the team as a quote unquote co-ace. Um, and I think that the whole ace, not ace debate, I, I don't really know what it means, but all I know is that he might have a better season than Garrett Cole. And Garrett I am Cole's a, top. I am a veteran of Masahiro Tanaka being a Yankee, so ace, not an ace conversation, just wears me out, and I don't really have time for it. Um, Yeah. So I I have a specific question that fascinates me about Carlos Rodon, but Alex, uh, just sort of top-line thoughts before I I sort of plumb your your heads. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the, uh, you know, the the two-pitch situation um oh they're okay well it's no fun if you just <laughs> all right go ahead segue mm-hmm. i mean so last year rodon was third in the league with his top two pitches he used 92.2 percent of the time um and you know a lot of people are like is that sustainable usually uh you know two pitch types end up in the bullpen right um, but you know, there's, there's been a lot of research. Um, I wrote a piece for Fangraphs uh, a couple months ago on back end starters who pitch in relief during the postseason, and who ended up performing much worse going to relief. And someone was like, well, the starters whose stuff plays up most in relief are not necessarily, you know, back end starters. It's more that they're guys who had two good pitches who couldn't make it as a starter. Um, but there, the truth is there are a lot of those guys who've taken the leap from actually being mediocre to great by virtue of scrapping their bad pitches and only throwing their two good ones, like Kevin Gosman. Uh, Dylan Cease, actually, this past year was his first season using just two pitches 80% of the time. And then, of course, Rodon. Uh, 2021 was his first full healthy season using just two pitches 80% of the time. Um, and, you know, this season's leader in two-pitch percentage was Spencer Strider, this, this strategy has become increasingly popular since uh, Carmen Ciardiello wrote about it uh, on Fangrass in 2021. Uh, he looked at two-pitch percentage for all 100-inning pitching seasons uh, from 2011 to 2019. Um, and from that time, 14.6% of pitchers used two pitches, 80% or more of the time. But these past years, it's nearly doubled to 28%. Um, so I guess, you know, advocate because I'm a fan of Verdon. I think he's going to be very good and it wouldn't surprise me to Esteban's point if he was better than Garrett Cole this year. I guess my question would be, you know, what two pitch pitchers and either third time Mm -hmm. through the order penalty or just general innings pitched in a season? Because my gut would be, 
your third time through the order penalty would be a lot higher because a guy has seen everything that you have. And maybe that's an old school, you know, coach approach to, to thinking about it. Rodon also pretty famously is not a workhorse. Uh, right. So does only having two pitches play into that? Um, I would be curious if there is research, if I'm, if I'm completely wrong again, I'm just, it's something that pops up when you see a guy throw 93% of his pitches are, is a fastball on a slider. Right. So, so the same article, uh, Carmen Ciardiello, uh, what he found was that those kinds of two pitch pitchers, i.e. 80% or more of the time they're throwing their top two pitches, they perform better on a per inning basis, but worse third time through the order. So sure. this yeah. is something that the Yankees have to be aware of with Rodon. I mean, it wasn't like he was going to be an innings eater anyways, right? Because of his injury history, but he also has an average six innings per start since 2018, probably because he's worse third time through the order. So maybe only leave him in when the bullpen needs a rest or the team has a big lead. So Esteban, um, sort of your expectations specifically on, you know, the innings and how much use the Yankees are going to get out of them. I mean, I thought the thing that surprised me about the Rodon deal was how cheap it was. Like, yeah. I would not have bet that he would have signed for $27 million a year. I thought he was getting over 30. I thought that was going to be one of the real stumbling blocks. Mm-hmm. So Fangraphs has some projected. I don't know if you guys know Fangraphs. Um, cool little site. Um, their projections <laughs> for him right now, 181 innings. He has never thrown that. Um, the closest that he came was this year through 178. Um, if you were to take the over/under on just the innings count, uh, would you go over 181? I would probably go under, and I think that's because the Yankees slash Aaron Boone are in a better position to be aggressive with their bullpen. Sure. Uh, Mal- Malachi wrote about this a little bit in his preliminary analysis slash reaction to the deal is that this is probably the first time in, well, see, obviously this is the first time because he's only been elite now for, say, two years, or I don't even know if it's really two years, uh, but mainly last year when the White Sox pen struggled, they weren't very good after Rodon came in. And then this year, I really wouldn't say that the Giants had a great bullpen. So um, the Yankees, like I said, will will be aggressive with uh, taking him out probably since they have such good pitchers in the pen and to, to protect him and make sure that he has some sustained longevity over the course of the deal. Um, but another thing I wanted to add about Rodone in particular and go deep in games is that he's one of the highest velocity gainers as a game goes on, which I think um, – might actually help him with getting deeper into games is because so the way I, this this might not be rooted in in data and research but the way that i think about it if i was calling pitches is that this fastball isn't exactly the same as it was in the beginning of the game, which means that the way it's interacting with this 80 grade slider is also not the same as it was in the beginning of the game. And yeah, his third time through the order penalty this year, um, it wasn't terrible. Uh, he didn't throw that many innings third time through the order. I think like it was like 35 innings or something like that. Uh, but the numbers were still pretty good. And I'm curious as to uh, how the Yankees will let that play. Because as I said, the pen is so strong and they will want to keep him healthy. But I think this is a different type of pitcher that we need to think about with third time through the order. Um, Facing a fastball that jumps up three, four miles per hour from at-bat one to three is a weird experience. Sure. If that makes Um, sense. I have some more things I want to talk about with the... uh with the rotation in general, but I know Nikki uh, raises hand with a question. So Nikki, go ahead. What's up? No, I just, I've been hearing now, like, I guess everybody, you know, all these Yankee fans alive now are like getting this, uh, Oh, the Mets are buying the pennant. I mean, it was okay when we were doing it, but, but where do you think Shohei Otani ends up in New York, whether it be Mets or Yankees? Cause I just feel like it's bec- back to becoming the center of the baseball universe. And I know I hear, Hey, West coast Shohei, but I got a strange feeling he's going to want to get in on this action here. 
Yeah. So, I mean, this is sort of looking, I mean, who the hell knows what's going to happen a year from now? Um, a year ago, we were sitting around thinking, oh my God, a 40 home run season from Aaron Judge would be a, a, a great season from him. Um, I think, I don't think there's a hope in hell that Shohei Otani ends up in New York Yankee next year. I don't think that he uh, fits their philosophy, uh, just sort of from a broad, like, Conser- re- relatively conservative approach to baseball. I don't think that he fits there. I don't think that he fits the roster because Stanton and Judge will increasingly take up more and more DH spots to say nothing of DJ Mayhew, who I'm getting very tired of. Um, and I think that there, you know, Otani has in the past talked about, you know, money not necessarily being the most important thing to him. And that opens up a really interesting conversation that we probably need to have next August when we look at where the standings are, because if the Yankees are a 105 win team, the Mets are a 105 win team and the Dodgers are a 105 win team. I think that that's, it's a little bit different than just Steve Cohen can write a blank check. Um, but am I, am I super off base with either of you two? No, I definitely agree with that. Uh, obviously the millions depend like how much, how many millions, but I definitely agree with you. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I think that he wants to be relatively close to home. And I mean, I do think that New York is becoming the center of the baseball universe again, though. I like that. I do think, um, and, you know, maybe we can use this. We can come back to the rotation in a minute. But I think this is maybe a good way to segue. This is how you actually segue, Alex, into uh, the Aaron Judge stuff. Because I think the Yankees were really in a no-win situation this winter. They could not let Aaron Judge go. He wanted to stay. You can't let a guy who just had a 200 WRC plus season leave. Um, And boy, the Yankees lineup without Aaron Judge would suck. Um, But I I don't care so much about the budget. I care about the roster usage. You have a guy who's in his 30s now who is going to spend more time at DH and in the corner outfield where a guy like Otani, you might be able to hide him. Um, and you have Giancarlo Stanton, who, again, I don't particularly care about the money aspect. I care about the roster spot and how that roster spot is going to be allocated. Again, a guy that's going to be primarily your DH. And just sort of forecasting out, I mean, the Yankees need to bring Judge back. But as you sort of forecast out two, three years from now, you can start to see a little bit of inflexibility on this roster. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because um... – we have guys coming up like Oswaldo Cabrera, Peraza, Volpe. All those guys came up as infielders. And we saw Cabrera come up last year and had a cannon for an arm in the outfield. Uh, so he's all of those guys have versatility. Uh, I think they might be able to pick up the slack wherever the... So, so like, it, you, you have versatility within the organization, but it limits the amount of moves that you can make from outside the organization is more of my point. To this point of Shohei Otani, you can't really give Shohei Otani an eight-year contract if you wanted to DH four games a week because what do you have Giancarlo Stanton doing? And so it's, it's more about make, being able to make additions from outside the roster that I think is, is a flag. I see, yeah. Yeah, the Yankees are pretty uh, locked in when it comes to DH for the next, I guess, decade or so. Uh, This is something that I've been thinking about continuously, and I still am not sure about how I feel about the situation. Obviously, the Yankees player development with hitters is going to need to catch up to the player development with the pitching. A lot of that flexibility, as you and Alex have pointed out, rides on this first batch of prospects. But what I'm even more interested in is the following one, is because this first group of prospects that's coming up, um, I know that they haven't played in the big leagues, but in terms of development and success in the minor leagues, like they have been a success. So... The next group after them, Spencer Jones, Jason Dominguez, although I don't really know what group you want to put him in, and the ones in that um, maybe like the 2025-ish ETA yeah. is Koreas, going to yeah. be – yeah, that that's going to be a very interesting group because they are the ones who – these aren't middle infielders. These are actually outfielders now that can – 
Um, like you both said, take off some of the slack. So um, I think that that flexibility is going to ride on those two players in particular and then whoever else is in that top tier. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So, of course, the, the biggest sort of Yankee news today was the press conference this morning. Um, are we surprised by the fact that Aaron Judge is the captain of this team? I'm not particularly. I think he kind of always was, and they just needed a, a good, shiny reason to give it to him. Um, when we think about sort of – I do actually really like the idea of a captain, especially when it's someone like Judge that very clearly is going to be a Yankee for his entire career. Um, it's – a reasonably uncommon thing in baseball. And it's often not necessarily given to the star player. Uh, I, I mean, Derek Jeter kind of notwithstanding, uh, you know, Jason Baratek is like the obvious example. Um, what weight do you two put on sort of the captain as a symbolic thing, uh, if any? I feel like it's a sign of respect from the people who run the team to mm. uh, the player at hand. So in this case, Aaron Judd, it's like, hey, um, we, uh, I guess, appreciate what you've done for this franchise and hold you in the regard that the other players in this history have been for this franchise. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I was going to say, I think Judge has a no trade clause. So he was going to be a Yankee the rest of his career, regardless, pretty much. Like, even though, you know, with, with captain, it, it feels like he's almost definitely, you know, going to be a Yankee for the rest of his career. Um, but, yeah, I think it's definitely it's more of a, a respect thing. Uh, it's formality in some ways. So we get another press conference tomorrow with Carlos Rodon. He's officially going to be an re-officially announced? I guess the tweet came out today and that's all people care about now, but um, broadly speaking with this rotation, uh, I wrote about it a little bit earlier, uh, I don't know, last week? I don't know, time is a circle. Um, but you have, you know, Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon, Nestor Cortez, Luis Severino, Frankie Montas. That is, that has a very good case to be the best rotation in baseball and maybe the best rotation this team has seen in 20 years. Um, one thing that particularly interests me about it is this balance of like workhorse with high ceiling. Um, so the one thing you can say about Garrett Cole, I think we can be a little bit concerned about Garrett Cole and the home run stuff. Um, the man is going to throw innings like you can pencil hit. He's just about the only pitcher left in baseball, not just about, but he's one of the only pitchers left in baseball that you can pencil in for 200 innings every single year. And that does matter because you do need someone to throw, uh, you know, in late August. And Nestor Cortez, I think, is someone that can step up and throw more innings. He's not someone that I'm particularly concerned about increasing in innings out of him because we've seen him work effectively late in games uh, a lot in 2022. Rodon, we've talked about the Yankees are going to want to be careful. Severino, I don't know. I could see Severino going either way. He's thrown a lot of innings before, but you know, we know how that turned out. Um, Esteban, we know what the ceiling of this rotation is, and it is, I think, the best rotation in baseball. What about the floor? What if it doesn't work? Is that possible? <laughs> They're all so good. They are. They are all, well, I don't know. I, I still don't know if Frankie Montas is actually good. I think that that, eh, we'll have to see uh, if he's good. I don't so know if he's as, good. 
As a two starter in the playoffs, yeah. As a five starter, sure, he's fair. Yeah, probably he, he's probably the best back end starter in baseball. Actually, I think he's definitely the best. I think he would probably run away with being the best. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how many back end starters there even are. So um, he's probably the best, and he has the ability to be a two starter. I mean. I'm, I've been looking into him a little more in the past few weeks and just like ticking, well, progressing with an article about him and just trying to find an optimistic viewpoint for what he can be and uh, trying to use the information that we have from his tenure with the Yankees to influence, like, you know, predicting out what he's going to do in 2022. But if you told me he was wasn't the worst of the five i wouldn't be surprised at all sorry so didn't answer your question no it didn't at all but thank you um (laughs) so once again pulling up projections uh so steamer has him 378 era 381 fip 2.3 wins above replacement um that sounds about right to me I don't. I. I don't think he goes mm-hmm. over. I don't think he's necessarily much worse than that. Um, I think maybe he gets hit with the home run, playing in a in smaller ballparks, but I don't think he's measurably better than that. Yeah, I. I. I wouldn't confidently say so either. He's shown flashes of being better than that, but that doesn't really matter. I guess the 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 only thing I mean you can say this with every single pitcher, I suppose. So what's the point? If Rodon stumbling block and he's at 140 innings, if Luis Severino can't be a full season, I mean, I, depth we see every year like depth is actually what matters when it comes to pitching rotations. Um, see Astros, Houston, um, Alex. How much faith do you have? Let's chalk up that one of Montas or Sevi or Rodon is going to get hurt. Uh, how much faith do you have in sort of the Clark Schmitz of the world, the guys that are going to be called upon to fill in? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't have a ton of faith, um, but I think this rotation is built for the playoffs. I think that, um, you know, if one of those five guys gets injured, you still have four guys that are playoff caliber starters. Um, in the regular season, I don't – it's it's going to be messy. I, I don't know if the Yankees hold on to Domingo Herman. He's He's the – probably their sixth starter at the moment. Um, and Schmidt, you know, he was a first-round pick. Uh, he's put up good numbers in the minors as a starter. Um, you have this guy, Crook, who he had, he's put up really high ground ball rates in the minors, but he's kind of a non-prospect. Davey Garcia, I guess, is another potential option. Like, he's only 23. <laughs> he's only 23. He... I don't. I wouldn't say he's totally flamed out yet, but like obviously, all of those guys are major step down from uh, Montas, even. And I think like this is certainly a uh, a rotation for the postseason. And you know, I wanted to talk specifically about the Red Sox, but I guess we can talk about the division now that a lot of these, a lot of the big free agents have come off the market. The AL East has not done a lot to measurably improve itself um the blue jays signed kevin kiermeyer and otherwise traded away to oscar hernandez which was a strange thing um the boston red sox have sort of set themselves on fire in in like interesting ways while also adding (laughs) uh, (laughs) yoshida um the Rays have kind of done the Rays thing. They signed the biggest contract in team history, but it was to a guy whose name I don't remember, so it can't be that great of a contract. Zach um, Eflin. Is that who it was? Zach Eflin? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Attaboy, yeah. Zach Eflin. I know, I know, I knew that it was the biggest contract. I was just like, for the life of me, I was like, I don't care who this person is. Um, the Yankees are probably going to win this division, I think. Um, but sort of the, the larger forces at play within the division, as we've seen teams, uh, really step up and spend this year, hasn't exactly translated to the AL East all that much. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about the Red Sox and and what's going on there. I mean, 
Let's talk about the Red Sox. I feel like a little bit of I feel like a little bit of dunking on the Red Sox. Yeah, yeah, I'm who, done. Who doesn't ever feel like that? You know. So. <laughs> I think that Heimbloom. I, I mean, I don't know. Blah blah blah. Trust the process. Blah 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 blah. I think that Heimbloom might be working himself out of a job in baseball. What's um, the I process? Think that, I think that he uh, the process is uh, don't sign anybody and don't develop any players. And don't have anyone pitch. And then <laughs> just trust that. <laughs> and I don't know I, if that process is gonna work in my you opinion. You know what? Hey, it's a five year it's a five year plan. So we're on year I don't know, two of it, three of it. Um so yeah, so the thing that sort of spurred a lot of my thinking about the Red Sox was Jeter Downs being DFA'd and like, you know, trades never work out whatever yeah. fine. But like Boy, that team just, they just seem directionless. And that's, I think, the worst place that you can be in baseball. Like, if you are worse, there needs to be a plan to get better. If you are good, there needs to be a plan to sustain the goodness. And I think about this with the Red Sox, and I also think about this with the Blue Jays, that the Blue Jays also seem relatively directionless. And I think part of it is due to the fact that it's difficult to sign players in us dollars when the dollar is a buck 40, but Rogers has pretty sizable us currency reserves. Maybe they're just not willing to dip into it, which I mean, I guess, but this division should be a five team dogfight with the way that the Orioles have appreciated. And it's not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, I think that Heimbloom is not the right guy to head up the Red Sox. And I'm increasingly starting to think that, uh, Shapiro and Atkins are not the team to head up the Blue Jays. Yeah, I mean, I still think the Blue Jays are the best competition to the Yankees. Um, I think, I do think they have a direction. Um, I think, you know, especially if, if Vlad resp- um, if, if Vlad rebounds, um, you still have Vlad and, and Bo Bichette, and that's a good core of players locked up for a while. And their rotation is really good. Um, Manoa, you have locked up for a while, and, and Gosman, and they just signed Bassett. Like that wasn't a, you know, that wasn't a small move. Um, I even think the Kiermaier move makes sense. Like Springer, you know, hasn't been the healthiest in his Blue Jays tenure, and he probably needs to move off center field. So I definitely, I think that um, the Blue Jays are, I think they're going places, but the Red Sox always they've left me uh, scratching my head a lot the past couple of years Esteban why why don't the Red Sox believe in pitching what am I not seeing what is the what is the market inefficiency that they are that they are reaching for by not having any pitchers I don't know I really don't know I think it's like um, Nick Pavetta um, definitely Brian Bello Bayo, uh, who is definitely good probably well, maybe not. I shouldn't say that, but I think is probably going to be their best pitcher next year. And then after that, I genuinely don't know. Is Waka still there, or is he a free agent? He's a free agent. I thought he was a yeah. free agent. Someone, someone was clamoring for the Yankees to sign him. Which yeah, yeah. So I just don't know who who exists there, and I I think that I don't I don't think it's an inefficiency. Um, uh, I think that they just suck. Yeah. Is that a good analysis? <laughs> That's pretty good analysis. Um, so we were talking about this a little bit in Slack. Um, and Alex, I'll give you, I, I, I personally don't really care to have these kind of conversations over text because it's hard to kind of be as nuanced as you want to be. But we were talking about Bloom specifically. And I think it's a larger conversation about GMs across the game and sort of their relationship with owners. And John Henry, who owns the Red Sox, seems to be very checked out, doesn't seem to be particularly interested in running the team. Uh, he's off doing his soccer thing, uh, which is fine. I like soccer. Um, but, you know, I've made this point very clear, I think very publicly, that, that when you take a job as an MLB GM, part of your job, especially when you, work, when you choose to go to work for the Red Sox, you choose to go to work for these large uh, market spending teams part of your job is to convince ownership to uh spend money this is why dave dombrowski is going into the hall of fame 
um, is for whatever reason, he can get owners to spend. And that's a real skill, I think. Um, you disagree a little bit, and I kind of want to give you some space to flesh that out. Yeah, I mean, I do think that um, GMs can raise the ceiling a bit, um, but they're definitely limited by their owner, um, unless your owner is Steve Cohen. Um, and I think it's it's quite the juxtaposition uh, between Bloom and Dombrowski. I mean, the last two heads of ops for the for the Red Sox. Um, and I, I think it does have to do a lot with uh, Henry being kind of checked out. I mean, you know, Dombrowski's known for, for, you know, win now and kind of selling off all the prospects. And, and that's thought of as, as not particularly sustainable, but it gets you where you want to be. And so that's what happened for the Red Sox, you know, in 2018. And then maybe Henry was like, if, if I'm trying to get inside his head, maybe he's thinking like, okay, I want to focus more of my resources on soccer now. Let's get someone who can build a more sustainable team. But I just, I really don't think Bloom has done a good job. Esteban, what do you think? I, I agree with you. They're, it's their job to say, hey, this time it's worth it. I get your point of view. I get the margins you want to be at. But with this particular player, it's worth it. It'll, it'll pay, back, pay it back and more. And he just hasn't been able to do that. And he's had, I guess, two opportunities to do so. One with a generational player and another with uh, a star player for an extended period of time. I'm not going to call Bogarts a generational player. And he's doing it again with Devers. Yeah, and he's and, they're, and they're going to lose Devers. They are going to lose What's particularly interesting about this to me is, like, Bogarts just straight up saying they treated me like garbage. Like mm-hmm. he just, he, this, this was not an amicable exit. I do think like, I think if Aaron judge had signed with the giants, you know, at 10 and 400, I think that uh, it would have been very hard. I think to blame now that we know how much effort the Yankees went into retaining Aaron judge, I think it'd be very difficult to blame the Yankees. If some team just came along and blew them out of the water, but it sounds like the Red Sox didn't even try with Bogarts. They it sounds like they're not six even six years, one sixty. And it sounds like they're not even going to try with Devers. And this is where I think, as Heim Bloom, part of Heim Bloom's job is telling John Henry, you've got to care about this, uh, because it's central. Even just the performance of the team, you want to have a guy like Rafael Devers, even if you are rebuilding, you want to have Rafael Devers on your team. Yeah, and another thing I want to point out that doesn't have to do with the free agency spending is, um, like, the, from the, the player dev point of view, is I'm not really sure, this is definitely a hot take, but, or you can, whatever, label it however you want, but I'm not really sure the Rays are as good at minor league player dev when it comes to that top end talent. And Bloom is, he needs to do that in order to compensate for not keeping star players. And without that, I don't think that he can just recreate whatever it is that the Rays have when it comes to picking out talent and making sure that it perform, performs to a, a certain floor for whatever a season or two. Um, so that that's probably neat. There's there's more to say there. Yeah. But that's just how I feel about the situation. Yeah, I mean, like I think that's an interesting point. Like the Rays, the crown jewel of their development has been Wander Franco, and he sucks. So, you know, what are you gonna small maybe, feet. maybe small feet? Small feet, feet are too small. Small feet. feet are too small. Um, Fireside Yanks, you were added as a speaker. I don't know if you have something to add. Or not. I was going to give you the chance. But... No. Cool. Uh, Sorry, my friend is texting me something about... It's beginning to look a lot like Reynolds is coming to the... Do you guys know who Craig Carton is? So this is my problem, is I don't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not from New York. I don't know who these people are. I feel like they all just get on the radio and scream things, which is not my style. Um, Yeah. Yeah, well-known uh, radio guy in the area for is he multiple sourced, decades though? at this point. Is oh, he sourced, no, though? no, no. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we we'll let uh, Fireside uh, and we can maybe talk about Brian Reynolds if this if there seems to be any movement at all or not. I have no idea. Hello, can you hear me? 
What's up? Sorry, guys. I, I, I didn't mean to leave and then come back. Uh, my sound got disconnected when I was invited as a speaker. Um, I just wanted to chime in. I know I know I don't know you guys personally, but thank you for inviting me. Appreciate it. Um, love to see other Yankees accounts on here. This is the shit. Um, but no, uh, with Heim Bloom, I will say the hardest thing for me is to just everyone loves to look back at a lot of these deals he's made, specifically the Mookie one, and be like, that's a terrible move. But I'm going to be real. When they traded Mookie Betts for Verdugo, Wong, and Downs, I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world. They offered him 300 mil. He said no. He took 365 from the Dodgers. But at the time, Jeter Downs is like one of the best hitting middle infield prospects in baseball. Uh, I, I I don't mean to interrupt. No, go for it. But, uh, Downs, there was some disagreements in the prospect community regarding Oh, yeah. A lot of people did not see – his hit tool playing well in the major leagues because if you look into the data now retroactively it there's there's holes oh there lots of swing and miss lots out. of swing and miss and so so to bet to bet on that type of player in a Mookie best caliber deal and, and and knowing what Verdugo's ceiling is given how hard he hits True. the ball it it was a very Bad. But it was also difficult <laughs> to analyze in hindsight because they did it during the juiced ball era of the modern game. So looking back, that was the year Kepler hit 36 home runs. And I guarantee you, no one could have predicted Max Kepler as a 9-11 to home run hitter following that season. And everyone lost a lot of their oomph when that happened and baseball denied the switching of balls during the games and how the games, like the postseason games were different, but they said they weren't. And then data now shows us they were. But Right now, yeah, I 100% agree. I would never do that deal now, knowing everything. But in 2018, you look back and you're like, well, these guys hit the ball pretty hard. I think Verdugo actually had a pretty decent barrel percentage and hard hit percentage that year and was seen as a four to four and a half war outfield guy. And now you look back and it's like, well, Alex Verdugo is barely a two war outfielder because of his, literally only because of his ability to make contact. It's pretty mid in the field, can't hit for power. Um, and then Downs, was tried at like third base and second base and shortstop and neither one worked. I even want to say they put him in the outfield for a game or two, but I just, I don't know, man, like looking back, it's, it's so much easier to look back at bad deals with prospects and say, Oh, why the hell did you do that? But at the same time, it's also easy for the Dodgers to be like, this is why you, you give up prospects for ready talent. That's why if we get Reynolds, I wouldn't be upset if we gave up like Peraza, Pereira, Trey Sweeney, Roger Garias even, except I love Arias. But just because you don't know what they'll be, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. But I, I also think that we should remind ourselves that the quality of prospect in that deal was dragged down by the inclusion of David Price. So the Red Sox were well aware. The Red Sox wanted to get rid not... of two contracts. Exactly. So they matters. were well aware they were not getting high price players in return so they knew they 100% knew that these weren't build or build around build your franchise around type pieces and I think I think to say you know you offered him 300 million he said no I, I think that's actually a bit of a cop-out thing to say because look I am a simple person uh I think if you have a guy that's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He plays gold glove caliber right field. He just won the MVP. He is perhaps the best internal talent you've produced in 50 years. And he's a right-handed hitter. And he turns down an extension offer. Instead of trading him, you keep him for that final season. And then when he goes to be a free agent, you just offer him more money than any other team offers him. And I think that that's a very successful way to keep generational talent in-house. Um, could be wrong. Just my reading of the situation. I mean, is, is that not what the Mets tried to do with DeGrom? I mean, it's literally what the Yankees did with Judge. That's the parallel that I'm drawing. But I feel like the Mets tried to do the same thing with DeGrom, and then they just got vastly outbid. It sounds like DeGrom kind of wanted out, yeah. though, which I think is a little bit different. Did Betts yeah, you know, um, want out? De- no, Mookie's on the record saying he wanted to stay. A little Jacob QAnon can go down and pitch for an irrelevant team. <laughs> Fucking Texas. Um, so we have to wrap this up in a couple minutes because I know Alex said he has to bounce at seven. 
Um, so I don't know who this Arnold. I mean, it sounds like most of the momentum was on a Max Kepler trade. Max Kepler doesn't excite me in any way whatsoever. Um, Brian Reynolds, I go back and forth on Brian Reynolds a lot. I think that he is a very talented ball player who is perhaps not as good as baseball Twitter would like him to be. Um, what do you two think? I mean, I am. Yeah, Alex, Alex, you go, you go ahead first. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm pretty high on, on Brian Reynolds, maybe not as a center fielder, but, um, Mm. he's a great hitter. Um, I just, I don't, it sounds like the pirates asking, asking price is astronomical and like, you might even have to part with, you know, at least two of, of Volpe, Peraza, Dominguez to get him. Um, and that's, which is Peraza and Dominguez. They're not trading. They're not trading. Okay. So, so that's for three, three years of Reynolds, um, which I would not do. Um, I think, you know, you have some, some other decent options, you know, we're trying to fill left field for this season. Conforto, uh, you know, there's some risk there, obviously, because he hasn't played in a while. But uh, you don't need to commit long term or for a ton of money or sacrifice a prospect. And when he's healthy, he puts up Reynolds, Reynoldsian numbers. Um, And, you know, as a backup plan, you could put Oswaldo Cabrera back in left field. Even, dare I say, Hicks. Uh, his his defense and base running still grades out positive positively. He put up 1.5 WAR in a not full time role last year and very strange season. Yeah, I mean the Yankees have Hicks through 2025, so it would be worth trying to get his bat going again. Esteban, I know that this is being retroactive, but given that you're somewhat of a published authority on this, Michael Conforto or Cody Bellinger, who would you rather have the Yankees sign? I know we can't get Bellinger, but... Mm. So I don't think my answer to this is necessarily me saying who I think is the better player, but I think Michael Conforto, mm. because I'm more mm. I'm more willing to, to bet on his bat returning with health than Bellinger's at this point. Um, Bellinger has played poorly for an extended period of time. Michael Conforto... Mr. Conforto has just not played. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, that's probably a weird answer, but I I don't know. I've seen Cody Bellinger just be bad. And yeah, he might have been playing injured or something, but he's just played so poorly. Um okay, so uh it's Christmas time. It's holiday time. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Baseball's probably going to go into a bit of a freeze unless something happens today. Um What's what's sort of the last move? If you had to predict, is it is it a trade for a left fielder? Is it Michael Conforto, or is it just roll with the internals? Because this is sort of the last piece of this roster. Yeah, I don't I don't think they're going to sign Mike. At least I would be surprised if they went with Conforto. I just think they need a higher floor outfielder, and I, I it's hard to say that a Brian Reynolds trade is more likely because the prospect has re- the the price has been reported as so high. But I, I think that they would ra- – would, my hunch tells me they would rather stick with internal options like Hicks and Cabrera than go with such um, a vol- potentially volatile player in Conforto. Do you think the internals are more likely than Brian Reynolds? Yeah. Yeah. yeah at, least, at least during the offseason. I wouldn't be surprised if Reynolds ends up with the team midseason or next offseason. Alex? I don't think Conforto is implausible. You could roll him out there. They said he's going to be ready for spring training. Uh, roll him out there for the first part of the season and see how he does. And you can, if it's a one-year deal, you cut him loose. Mm-hmm. And then you go with Hicks and, and Cabrera in left field the rest of the year. Yeah, if they have any batted ball data or swing data on Conforto, I, I would be pretty confident that they would do that. The, my only question is like, do teams get access to that during a time like this when a player hasn't played for so long? Like, do they, they get have... a- they get access to it if it benefits the player's case. Otherwise, right. otherwise, right. Yeah. Scotty will be like, "Oh, sorry, we forgot to turn yeah. the camera on exactly. that day." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so like, if that data is available and promising, uh, then then yeah. But like, I don't know. Is is it worth the risk? I don't know. 
How he much? How much money so do you good. think he commands? He was so good. Fifteen-ish, probably. Yeah, one fifteen. Yeah. I'm okay at one fifteen. All things yeah, considered, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, um, I mean, I less I, than Bellinger. Yes. Yeah, yeah, probably because the defense and speed. Yeah. I do think I think the reason why I'm sort of warming up to Conforto the more that I think about it, um, and I wrote about this this year in 2017, there was like this real debate whether you would rather have Aaron Judge or Michael Conforto. There was a debate for about like the first month and a half of the season, and there were a lot of people who said that they would rather have Michael Conforto than Aaron Judge, um, <laughs> including some of your coworkers, I believe. And I, Man. it would just it would just be fun to have those two guys in the outfield at the same time and be like, oh, like Aaron Judge only has four wins by the All-Star break. That's kind of a letdown. And like Michael Conforto <laughs> is like a league average hitter and we're all just thrilled. I would just, I think that'd be a, a fun thing to follow for the season. Yeah, I spent so much time, um, I think it was yesterday, trying to find a graphic from whatever, whenever that was, whatever year that was, because I remember it on MLB Network, like, all, all of their statistical comparisons, and I, I tried to find it yesterday, and I just couldn't do it. Yeah, what a what a time for for the baseball intelligentsia. Um, Alex, thank you so much for joining. We're super excited to have you. I'm excited to see uh, your first words on the site, Esteban. Thank as you. Always, thank you for joining. Happy holidays, everybody. I hope everybody gets a chance to have some time off. I'm very fortunate that my office closes between Christmas and New Year's. So I'm taking and I'm off for the rest of the week. If you are traveling, please travel safe. Please stay warm because the entire continent is about to be frozen over. Yeah, uh, baseball is probably going to go into a bit of a deep freeze for now. But if not, uh, you know where to find our coverage. And it's usually up pretty quick and it's usually pretty good. So always read PSA. Thanks, everybody. See ya.